Thank you, Melody. And thank you, Melody's dad, Aaron. And thank you, David. <laughs> How cool is that? All right, you're going to need a Bible this morning as we carry on in our series. So uh, get out your Bibles, get a, uh, open up your Bible apps. If you do not have a Bible right now, just go ahead and put your hand up. Our ushers are coming around. They will give you a Bible that you can use to follow along in. And if you receive one of those Bibles and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, please just keep the one you receive and take it with you. Um, as you'll discover today with us, um, there is so much in that book that we need to be aware of and that we can be blessed by. Um, all right, back on Tuesday, I had the privilege of delivering the 400 sandwiches that you guys made a couple weeks ago. Um, so thank you for that. Went down to the Groveland Food Shelf in Minneapolis. Uh, and it was quite an experience. It was an eye-opener for sure. Uh, this is on Nicollet, just south of downtown Minneapolis. And um, it, was, it was quite an adventure. It was a challenge to find it. Uh, it was in the basement of an old, old, old church. And it was a dark and dirty and small place that was absolutely packed with people. And um, I want you to know that those sandwiches made a difference. Um, when I showed up and was asked, well, how many sandwiches did you bring? And I said 400, um, got quite the response. Um, and, and the one guy who, who came out to help me just said, um, you have no idea just how much this is going to mean to somebody today. And it was a really humbling experience to be face-to-face -face once again with the need right here in our own city. <clears throat> so thank you for doing that. Um, it made a difference there's absolutely no question that it made a difference in a lot of families' lives over this past week. All right, we continue this morning in our series called Unlikely. We're looking together at a series of 15 psalms that are called the Songs of Ascent. And Ascent has to do with the journey that the Israelites took up to Jerusalem three times a year. Um, these psalms and songs include Psalms 120 to 134, and here's what we've covered so far really briefly. Psalm 120 is what we started with, and it was a declaration of despair. David was talking about them being delivered from the lies and deceit of this world, and so he was calling out to God, and the Israelites were calling out to God. And then we moved into Psalm 121 that was filled with hope. That declaration, my help comes from the Lord, was found right there. Then Psalm 122, the last one we looked at, we talked about shalom. David put forth a prayer for peace in God's kingdom, peace among God's people and in Jerusalem. And it was a very outward perspective. And we are going to start to see a bit of a repetitive cycle develop here in these 15 psalms. Psalm 123 is going to have another tone of despair in it. And then 124 is going to be a declaration of hope. 125, you're going to see the phrase, peace be upon Israel. Does that sound familiar? They seem to come in sets of three as we carry on throughout these. And so you'll see that. But today, today is all about Psalm 123. And so turn there now, Psalm 123. And this is what it says. It's only four verses long, and so when I first read it, I actually thought, well, I better come up with some other material, something else that I could be teaching today, because it's only four verses, um, and I was so wrong. Um, this is Psalm 123. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, 
As the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. All right, so as we get into this, um, let me put a question in your head. Who do you look up to and why? Sometimes our, our kids get asked that question at school or in kids club or something like that, but right now in your life, who do you look up to? Verse 1 in this psalm says, To you I lift my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Every Christian's journey begins with the recognition that God is above all. We are followers of Jesus, God's Son. He is one with God, fully God, and this is what was said about him, about Jesus, in John 3, 31. It says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. And so again, who do you look up to? Sometimes we need to go back to the beginning of our story. We were dead. And God saved our lives. No one else could. We had no power to save ourselves. He did. There was only one who could redeem us. Only God could take our death sentence on himself. Only God had or ever will have the authority to, figure, to forgive or to declare someone guilty or not guilty. Only God can give life. Only God can offer hope. Only God can take a life that looks worthless on many levels and turn it into something extraordinary. Only God can truly bring us meaning only God can stop even the most powerful forces of evil. Only God, and I could go on like this for hours. Only God could have taken this worthless life, or so it seemed at times, and given it infinite value. Only God could have saved and redeemed and forgiven and blessed me and you and his church, and this world. So again, who do we look up to? And yes, we're going to have to look beyond the limits of this world. David says we need to look way, way up to the one who is enthroned in the heavens. Now is David saying that God is not right here with us in our midst? No, he's not saying that. This is about position. As far as comparing us to the one who walks this trail with us, it's clear that positionally you and I are merely created earthly beings looking up to the one who created heaven and earth. There is an obvious difference between our position and his position. Verse 2 gives us a very concrete earthly example that the, the nation of Israel, God's people, could relate to. 
says this, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. The picture that Psalm 123 verse 2 paints is one of servants and their masters. Like a servant looks to the hand of his master, like a maidservant looks to the hand of her mistress, so in the same way our eyes look to the Lord our God. And I want to give you just a a visual of this. I want to give you a position here, a posture so that we fully embrace this. I'm going to talk about this a lot more as I go on here. But we're not talking about the familiar. We're talking about this position. We're talking about standing before the Lord. And if you're looking this direction as you kneel before the Lord, you're looking at the Lord's hands. It's a long look up to his face in this position as a servant We are looking at the hands of our Lord. Now this whole idea, this posture, this mindset is very difficult for our culture to accept. It's very difficult for any of us to accept, quite frankly. We're certainly not going to do this with other people. We're not going to view other people this way. But honestly, I think there's still something in us that wants to do this, that's wired to do this. Even if we think sometimes that we're stuck with no better options than celebrities and politicians, the wealthy, the influential, and maybe a few more others to look up to. And sadly, without God in the picture, there may not be anyone we'd see this way. And I think we struggle to even do that with God in our lives because our pride can influence us to the point where we won't even see him like a servant sees their master. But God's people are to see God this way according to Psalm 123. We need to dig into this a little more and that's exactly what we're going to do right now. When I was a kid in Sunday school and I was asked the question, who do you look up to? I needed to have a good answer ready, especially if my Sunday school teacher was my mom, which was the case for several years as a child. I was also the pastor's son, and so I better have a great answer to that question. Who do you look up to? Well, Moses, of course, mom. No, wait a second. No, he murdered someone. Okay, David. I look up to David, mom. Uh, Wait, he was worse than Moses. Um, Paul. Do I look up to Paul? Nope, there was that whole stoning of Stephen thing. Okay, Jesus, I look up to Jesus. That has to be the right answer. Well, it was, it is. But there's more to back up that statement, and it all includes the title, Servant. Listen to the way that God describes his chosen people and the way they describe themselves. I think there's a lot that we can learn from this. David referred to himself as the servant of the Lord. Nehemiah, when speaking to God, used the phrase, your servant. God referred to Job as my servant Job. 
He referred to Isaiah as my servant Isaiah. Daniel was called servant of the living God. God spoke to Jacob with the words, Jacob, my servant. And yes, God even referred to Moses as my servant Moses. Paul opened several of his letters by identifying himself as Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. James identified himself as a servant of God, and Jude also called himself a servant of Jesus Christ. There are more characters in the Bible who saw themselves this way. God was above all, and they were his servants. Old Testament and New Testament, before Jesus and after Jesus, throughout the history of God's people, those who belonged to God's family saw themselves and identified themselves as servants of God and servants of Jesus. When we lived in Africa, we quickly learned the challenge of of identifying ourselves as Christians. There was far too much baggage historically and Country, with countries that came into that region and did a considerable amount of damage in the name of Christianity. So early on in our time there, we began to refer to ourselves as followers of Jesus rather than Christians. It was the logical thing for us to do. And many of us do the same thing here in our culture. Well, the term Christian doesn't have quite as much negative baggage attached to it as it does in some parts of the world. There are many believers who choose to identify themselves here directly with the person of Jesus Christ rather than the religion of Christianity. Well, this week I've been challenging myself on a new level. Have I ever introduced myself as a servant of Jesus Christ? I talk all the time in terms of being a follower of Jesus, and I'm not going to criticize or denounce that term. If Jesus invited me to follow him, I will do my best to be his follower. But let's admit something. Being a follower of someone or something is taking on a whole different meaning these days. If I follow someone on social media... Does that indicate in any way that I consider myself a servant of that person? Not so much. Following someone in that realm is pretty superficial. Following Jesus is not. Following Jesus means accepting your position as his servant, looking to him as the authority in your life. That said, let's look at how Jesus viewed his identity during his time here on earth. The Apostle Paul did a great job of addressing Jesus' mindset when he came. Philippians 2 verses 5 to 8 has such clarity around this. This is what Paul wrote to the church about Jesus. He said to the church, he said, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's so much substance in this brief passage 
Start with just the first five words. Have this mind among yourselves. This is how we're to think about ourselves and about our purpose in this world. And we're not even expected to drum up the strength and wisdom from deep within ourselves to think this way. Jesus can actually shape our minds to think this way. That's his desire for us. Jesus emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. That was the character that he brought to earth with him. Servant. Obedience was a major factor in Jesus' life. Even though he was the one who created this incredible planet and everything else, he didn't come as the rightful owner and superpower in this world. He came as a servant. Jesus looked up to God, his Father, and he trusted the hand of his Father, the hand of authority in his life. Jesus was a servant of his Father. And he went about demonstrating that service, service mind, servant mindset in the way that he interacted with people. And I want to read an account of one such demonstration that Jesus gave us. This is one of the Bible's most powerful passages for me. I still can't wrap my head around what he did here. This is Jesus showing us what our master desires from his servants. This is John 13. And I'm going to read the first 17 verses. This is the story. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So, and I, have to, I have to pause here. Jesus knew that he had authority over absolutely everything. So, this was a reason why he did what he's about to do here, which is a massive question mark for me. It's amazing. So, he got up from the table... The one who had authority over everything took off his outer robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And then Peter, going through one of his massive swings of mood, goes, Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. 
And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. That's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because it's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master. Nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now as much as I'd like to, I won't go too deeply into this mind-blowing act of servanthood, but I do want to note something here. Even Jesus saw himself as a servant. Even Jesus, God sent him to serve. God sent him to go low. Jesus chose the position of a servant. Quite frankly, Jesus could have skipped this step. He was already headed for horrible pain and a horrible death, but on the way to the cross, this is what he does. His position as a servant of God made him a servant of others. This is the mind that Paul wrote about. In looking up to God and waiting on the hand of his father, Jesus faithfully and obediently lived out the will of his father, his master, as a servant. That mind can be ours in Jesus. He can do that for us. It's part of the renewing, the transforming of our minds to become more like Jesus. We accept and embrace the servant mind. We align with Jesus' mind. We follow him into a life of expressing that mindset. We are servants. How could we be anything else? But our culture screams at us to be anything else. Win, conquer, take the highest place, achieve the most status, power, authority, recognition, compensation, titles, whatever we're tempted by. We're to aim for the top and be relentless in reaching it. We have rights to be at the top and those rights will not be denied. So we fight and scratch and grasp and climb and demand and feel horrible about ourselves if we don't reach that target. Yet Jesus, Paul, David, and so many more have put a title in front of us that comes with no earthly status, authority, power, recognition, titles, acclaim, or anything else that we seem to want so badly. Instead, we get the affirmation and the eternal crown that comes with being a servant of God and far outshines any recognition or reward that this world's culture will ever be able to offer us. We are servants. And speaking for myself, I need to make this more a part of my thinking than it has been. I am a servant. A servant of God, a servant of Jesus Christ. 
way back in time, even for me, in 1976, a singer named Larry Norman released a song called I Am a Servant. And when I first heard it, I couldn't stop listening to it. I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song. I'm not going to play it for you. He's got a weird voice. I want to throw you off. <laughs> right? If you've heard it, you know what I'm talking about, right? This is what he's saying. I am a servant. I am listening for my name. I sit here waiting. I've been looking at the game that I've been playing. I've been staying much the same. When you are lonely, you're the only one to blame. I am a servant. I am waiting for the call. I've been unfaithful, so I sit here in the hall. How can you use me when I've never given all? How can you choose me when you know I'd quickly fall? So you feed my soul and you make me grow and you let me know you love me. And I'm worthless now, but I've made a vow. I will humbly bow before thee. Oh, please use me. I am lonely. I am a servant getting ready for my part. There's been a change, a rearrangement in my heart. At last I'm learning there's no returning once I start. To live is a privilege, to love is such an art. But I need your help to start. Oh, please purify my heart. I am your servant. I did a funeral um, back when I first started in this ministry for a man named Wes. And I was so stunned when he said he wanted this song to be part of his funeral. He was dying of cancer. Um, and that actually gave him and I a chance to plan his own funeral. And um, this was a very important piece for him. But this whole mindset is so countercultural. Will we choose it anyway? Paul faced this choice. Here's how he responded. This is Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He writes, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. David says in Psalm 123, Behold, as the eyes of a servant look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy on us. As God's servant, what are we looking for? The Israelites, God's people, were looking for mercy. They looked for God's redemptive grace. They looked for God's provision of release, of freedom, of forgiveness. They looked for God's favor, and they looked to his hand. Why is the hand mentioned in Psalm 123? Well, in this context and many other contexts of that time, the hand represented authority and control. They looked to the authority of their master, to the one who had control of their lives as they submitted to him, like servants to their master. Jesus demonstrated redemptive grace for us. 
Jesus modeled in his life everything we needed to know that his hand, his authority can be trusted. So my desire is to look to the hand, to the authority of Jesus as a servant looks to the hand of his master with a deep trust in the goodness, the sufficiency, the grace, the mercy of that hand. Psalm 123 closes with a statement of fatigue in verses 3 and 4. It says, Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, the wealthy in this world, of the contempt of the proud. God's people were tired of being looked down on. They knew what it was to be slaves even. They understood the servant-master dynamic, but had tasted far too much of the earthly version of the servant-master dynamic. And so, did God then make them all kings and queens, and wealthy and powerful and influential? No. God showed them that he intended his family to be his servants under the care of his loving hand. Our gracious and loving God set us free from the world system that we can become so easily enslaved to. God redeemed us from a system that demands our obedience and conformity but promises us nothing when it comes to mercy. God gave us freedom, but not freedom to go our own way and provide for ourselves He invites us into the ultimate freedom that belongs to a servant of Jesus. As we get to know our master, we soon learn that our problem was not a lack of freedom. It was a lack of a merciful master like God. But now we have him. And like a servant looks to their master's hand, we look to our master's hand. We look to God who is above us and is merciful to us. There is no better place to be. And he calls us into the mission of bringing his redemptive grace to the world around us that longs to be set free from a master that offers them nothing. We're going to close the service this morning with a song that really fits here as an appropriate response to what we've heard in Psalm 123. It's called Broken Vessels. I want you to listen to a bit of what we're going to sing now. These are the words of this song. All these pieces, broken and scattered, in mercy gathered, mended, and whole, empty-handed but not forsaken, I've been set free. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found, was blind, but now I see. I can see you now. I can see the love in your eyes, laying yourself down, raising up the broken to life. The church tired of being looked down on by a world that bows down to a system that cannot promise them grace. We have found 
our true master and he is a merciful, gracious master who's working to establish a relationship with us. He longs to be the trustworthy master who provides for us, protects us, guides us, grows us, and pours out mercy on us. And so church, let's be the servants he created us to be and experience the fullness of God's mercy towards his people. Will you pray with me, please? Just in your mind, in your imagination right now, let's let's just take this little step. Just picture yourselves on your knees before God. In front of you is a hand that holds all authority. So look at that hand realize that hand, that hand of the one who holds all authority is extending a hand of mercy to us is an amazing thing. Father, we are humbled at the very thought that you have called us to be your servants servants of a loving, gracious, powerful, merciful master. We are humbled by the fact that you have taken these pieces of our lives, that you have set us free from a world system that we can very easily become enslaved to. And you've brought us to your feet where we can look to you and find the mercy that we need, the mercy that we're looking for. God, thank you for that mercy. Thank you for giving us something we don't deserve. Thank you for being our Father. But this morning, we thank you for being our Master. This morning we want to declare to you that we are your servants. So we come to you on our knees. Looking up to the one who loves us perfectly, who provides for us perfectly, who accepts us perfectly pours out his mercy and grace on us. So thank you for that. God, just receive this song as we sing about your amazing grace and what you've done for us, taking these broken vessels and making them yours. You've been so good to us. We praise you for who you are this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, your son.